0: Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page, where you do get early access and exclusive content. Link will be down in the show notes. Well, this was another insanely long, crazy week that packed about a month's worth of stuff into a week's span of time, Um, yeah, obviously a lot of things happened this week. So, as usual, we will try to handle this in a chronological fashion, and basically picking up where we left off from the last weekly roundup, um, we did end up getting an Iranian response to Soleimani's killing after the mourning period, after they held the official state funeral, the public funeral. On Tuesday, Iran fired a sum total of 22 ballistic missiles at two different military bases in Iraq. Thankfully... Thankfully, there were no casualties. There were injuries, but those seem to have been rather minor and limited. But like I said, no deaths. Um, It was originally reported that maybe some Iraqis had died, uh, but that turns out to be not true. Everybody is still amongst the living. No U.S. service members obviously were killed or injured. So, yeah, that is the response for now. Um, yeah i mean i'm i'm glad that nobody's dead i i don't want anybody to be dead but the reaction to this has been rather interesting especially when you contrast it to kind of the lead up to the missile attack and i i still have a lot of the same questions that i had before the attack now and it it seems like there is this sort of tendency to say just because no U.S. service members died that, okie doke, everything's cool now. Um, The the official stance right now is, at least coming out of the U.S., is that they're assuming that Iran is standing down. Um, We'll get to that a little later. Um, But as it stands right now, everything is just kind of at a standstill, at least on our side. But I... I, I still have questions, and I still think that even though, thank God, the World War Three boogaloo did not kick off, and nobody died, and we're not at war with Iran right now, doesn't mean that there aren't still serious questions that need to be asked and answered before something like this happens again. And I, I first off want to know about going back to the lead up to the Iranian attack, like I said, they did have the public funeral for Soleimani, One gathering of which ended in a stampede that ended up killing over 80 people, but the attendance at these public funeral, I guess, processions for lack of a better word, the public gatherings for the, the funeral of Soleimani, depending on who you ask, I mean the numbers are anywhere in the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to million. It was a lot of people. Like, a lot of people, there were a lot of videos coming out of Iran with just people flooding the streets, and a lot of people took that to mean that the Iranian people were very upset about Soleimani being dead, and that's extrapolating that they were very mad at the U.S. My first question when I saw these videos was the same question that everybody should have anytime you see something like this coming out of Iran is... First off, was this compulsory or was this voluntary? And the answer to that question seems to be for best that I can tell was a little from column A, a little from column B. Um, It doesn't seem like the regime point blank told people like, okay, you you best to be there. But apparently there was incentives given to students to show up. There was incentives given to like shopkeepers to close up and go participate in the the public mourning of Soleimani. So, kind of a mix. And that's not to say that there weren't people that were there voluntarily. I'm sure there were. And the same way if, say, a top-ranking U.S. official was killed. I imagine there would be a lot of people who would show up, not necessarily because they were upset that that person was dead, but being upset about the way that person died. And so I'm sure there might have been some people that showed up to the public funeral, in protest of how Soleimani was killed not necessarily that they're like sad that he was gone or anything because it's not exactly like i mean not not super cool with the Iranian people i mean they he, he did plenty to hurt them too so the the way it was presented though especially in this lead up was that okay the Iranian people are unified in their anger about Soleimani being dead and it, it kind of presented in this way that because all of these people were unified and now they weren't angry at the regime anymore, which they were prior to Soleimani being killed for different reasons, not having anything to do with Soleimani. But now that this was like a unifying factor within Iran, I, I, um, well, that, that seems to have not panned out so much, but it was put out there like that. And my question was at the time, too, even past that, and even after the Iranian counterattack, was what do the Iranians feel about this situation? And again, I, I we got an answer to that in a way that is both horrifically tragic and very illuminating. We'll we'll get to that in a second because I want to I want to handle this before I handle that. So there was just a lot of questions that I had about what the situation really was on the ground in Iran at the time before the missile strike and then immediately thereafter, because my fear was that if the reports were true that the Iranian people were a little more unified. In their anger towards the U.S. now and turning away from their anger from the regime, that this particular missile strike would not satisfy that anger because, like I said, nobody was killed. Nobody died. So I would imagine that if the Iranian people were genuinely deep down in their heart of hearts upset about Soleimani being dead, that this would not satisfy that sort of retaliation that you would expect people to want if if it were us basically if it were the u.s i don't think that say if the shoe was on the other foot and iran killed i don't know pence or esper or pompeo and then we just launched a missile strike that didn't really hurt them and certainly didn't kill anybody i don't imagine the american people would be very pleased with that but like i said I think the the reports of the Iranian people being unified behind this have were greatly exaggerated, which is something to discuss in and of itself, in that it's so hard, especially when you're talking about really any state that has state run media and exhibits the kind of lockdown that Iran places on the media and the internet to really know what exactly is going on inside the country and Also, when you have a regime like Iran, free speech is not a thing there, so it's very hard to kind of get people to, especially in kind of like very delicate situations like that, to kind of like openly express what they're really feeling, so it's one of those that makes it very hard to really know, and so when people report on this stuff, you kind of have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, I think, because... Like I said, it's just, it's it's so hard to know for a fact because all of the avenues are cut off. And for what it's worth, Iran did cut off access to the internet for its citizens in the wake of this. So, I mean, Iranians are very, very resourceful in that they're used to the regime kind of cutting it on, cutting it off, cutting it on, cutting it off. So they're really good at still being able to get information in from the outside, but it makes information from the inside getting out to be quite difficult so yeah i i think the reporting on that i don't i don't think it was super helpful and i think it gave kind of a wrong impression about what things were like on the ground in iran and then i still have the question was trump authorized to do this or not and this is a question that seems to have gone by the wayside, except for one Justin Amash who is still asking the question. But all of a sudden, it's like this whole discussion just went poof. And and I seem to remember it being a topic of some very contested debate before the missile strike. But then after afterwards, I guess everyone just was like, okay, well, I guess we're done here so we don't have to have this conversation. I'm like, no, we still need to have this conversation. Because this day will happen again, whether it's Trump, whether it's the next president, whoever it is, one of these situations will come up again. And so I still want to see a conversation in Congress as to whether the president has the authority to unilaterally without discussing with Congress or giving them any kind of notification to order a killing like this. And like I said in the last episode, Soleimani is a difficult case because it's not like he was just a terrorist. He was a high-ranking member of the Iranian government. So there is, there's a dual status there that it it makes this a little more complicated than it would normally be. Like, it's obviously when we killed al-Baghdadi and bin Laden, you didn't have to have that conversation because they weren't, recognized members of a recognized government of a recognized country. So that conversation didn't come up then, but it's come up now. And I feel like we need to get a definitive yes or no answer on this. And then going from that answer, if the answer is yes, he was legally and constitutionally justified in ordering this strike, then we need to take it one step further and start asking, well, should the president have that power? should one person be able to order the killing of a top-ranking government official of another country? Like, this this is a conversation that still needs to be had. These are questions that still need to be asked and answered. And it would really be better if we did this now instead of waiting until the next time this topic comes up. But it's just like, like the will to have this conversation just disappeared. And I'm just sitting here like, I'm I'm still got questions, guys. I we, um still still big constitutional questions here. Still big legal questions here. Can, can can we have this conversation, maybe? But like I said, there's there's this like feeling that everyone's just like, okay, well this is done, let's all move on. It's like, no, there's still there's still a lot to unpack here. Still a lot to unpack and kind of figure out not only from that perspective of was Trump legally allowed to do what he did, but also now, for what for what it's worth, I mean, just because nobody died doesn't mean that Iran did not shoot ballistic missiles at places where US service people were. And I mean these weren't US military bases, they were Iraqi military bases housing US service people. And and that's a whole nother conversation right there is is Iraq going to be made to be the battlefield between any kind of actual hot battle between the U.S. and Iran? That's a conversation that needs to be had, especially since Iraq has now asked twice, twice for the U.S. to leave. One, they did the resolution saying that they're ready to um start winding down foreign military involvement in their country. And then, apparently, the the not Iranian, the Iraqi president had a conversation with Pompeo and basically asked him, okay, so what's the drawdown plan here? Basically asking again for the U.S. to leave Iraq. So there's that question. There's how does this change U.S.-Iranian relations? Because, I mean, it's not like this, this isn't something that you can just ignore. Like this whole situation can't just be swept under the rug. Like we killed one of their high-ranking officials they, under under their own name, they didn't use cutouts. They didn't use proxies. They the the state of Iran point blank said yes. We fired those missiles. That was us. And and this is a bunch of shit that you can't really take back. So now where does this leave U.S. Iranian relations? And it's I'll try to explain this the best I can. The the nuclear deal between the U.S and Iran, and a bunch of other countries signed on to it. Um, Remember, the U.S. had famously pulled out of that earlier this year, or early last year, not this year. This year is 2020. But apparently, Iran has now officially said that they will no longer be honoring the terms of that deal. So where that exactly leaves them with their nuclear program is up in the air. It's just, there's still a lot of stuff to be figured out here, but It's like nobody wants to try to figure this out anymore. I don't know. It's weird. I don't understand it. But moving on to the tragedy that did happen during this Iranian missile strike. In the midst of the missile strike, a Ukrainian National Airlines flight crashed. Now I, I'm saying crashed right now because we're going to handle this in chronological order because I think it's really important to kind of understand how this has evolved, especially once you start realizing what the response has been from the Iranian people in response to this airliner being shot down. So, anyway, when the news first broke, it was that during this, and this, and this, and this broke while. Everybody was still assessing what exactly happened during the missile attack. um, There were still reports that there were dead Iraqis. Within Iran, apparently, state media was reporting that, like, 80-some-odd Americans had died in this attack. Obviously, none of those things were true. But in the middle of all this and in the middle of everybody online trying to figure out what the hell is going on, news broke that this, this plane had for some reason or another crashed and that all 176 people on board were dead. So that was the point on Tuesday night that I backed away from social media and I was like, oh, hell no. I'm not even trying to go there right now because initially the reports were that there was an engine failure and the plane just crashed. And that was not true. Obviously, we know this now. Um, it's, it was shot down, and now even, even Iran has admitted to this, it was accidentally shot down by an Iranian missile. And there was a lot of question leading up to where we're at now as to how exactly it happened. Um, weren't sure if it was human error, or we knew that their anti-aircraft systems were active, so we didn't know if it was just, like, computer saw oop, airplane, shoot it down, there was a report that somebody, and and, and Iran has changed their story a lot on this over the past about four days, so bear with me here. One report was that the plane was shot down because they couldn't tell if it was a plane or a missile, which that is a bullshit excuse, I'm pretty sure. Technology is to the point where we can tell the difference between a passenger jet and a missile. It shouldn't be that hard, but that was an excuse they put out. And so eventually we got to Iran taking responsibility for accidentally shooting the plane out of the sky. I put emphasis on accident because I genuinely believe, I mean, barring any kind of new information coming out, that this was an accident. I don't think that this was intentional. I I it just it's a horrible, horrific, tragic accident, which underscores why 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 you have to be so careful when you start doing these sorts of things. It's just like oh my god, because now there's 176 dead people. So what? Iran ended up doing is when the plane went down, um I'm not quite sure who they sent in, but somebody got sent in and I mean they nabbed the black box, they started cleaning up the site, they basically tried to do as best as one could a cover up, which of course you can't fully do a cover up in this day and age. It's 2020. Obviously, everybody's gonna notice the plane was shot out of the sky. Like there's video of the of the missile hitting the plane. And there's, there's no way to kind of contain certain kinds of information. Like, that's just going to get out. But they tried to scrub it as best they could. And then there was a lot of kind of hemming and hawing about what really happened. Was it this? Was it that? And then at one point, Iran was saying that they did not shoot the plane out of the sky and that they were not taking responsibility for it. And which at that point was already ludicrous because... That was after the point where both the U.S. and Canada had already officially said that, yeah, it, it was Iran. It was one of their anti-aircraft missiles. But they tried it. They tried it. And so, like I said, I, just, I don't think it was on purpose. I do think this was just a horrific, horrific accident. And there's a lot to discuss there as to why in God's name, was this plane even in the sky at that time? Like, it, I mean, obviously, this was during a, a missile attack, so why the fuck was there a passenger jet taking off from the airport in the middle of all this? There, There's... What? 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 The what? Like, what the hell just happened? Like, so much communication breakdown and... The, the man responsible for actually firing the missile, because apparently it wasn't the anti-aircraft system that did it, it was somebody who made a mistake. And was you were in this heightened situation, and either through miscommunication or misinterpretation or whatever it was, shot this plane down. And he, this dude genuinely seems remorseful. He said that he wishes he was dead. So... I mean, I I feel bad for him because this this is what happens, people. And this is why I'm not down with this argument of doing certain things, especially like this, as deterrent sort of things. And obviously, these were Iranian missiles. And if one wants to assign blame as to whose fault this is, Obviously, it's Iran's fault. I mean, it's their missiles. They shot it out of the sky. They admit to that. And, like I said, it's, it's an accident, but still. And and I point out deterrence because, from where we're at right now, the official kind of story that is coming out of Iran and being accepted by certain military experts is that the missile strike that they launched they on purpose did not kill anybody basically to show that you can target certain sites and that you can hit with such precision that you don't kill anybody and you don't really hurt anybody and the only damage is structural damage it's a it's a flex to show how precise you can be and that if ye really wanted to, they could take somebody out. But they chose not to. Here's the thing, though. Once you start firing missiles, once you, once you start an operation like this, whoever starts it, shit can get out of hand very, very quickly. Especially when you have other humans involved involved. People who are jumpy, for obvious reasons. You, you're not sure, are we going into a hot war with the United States? Like, what, what is the situation? What the hell's going on? It's something where a government can lose control very, very quickly. And that's what happened here. And so that's why I'm not a fan of this argument of doing attacks on another country or wherever as just deterrence because shit can go sideways real quick and you can never be entirely sure how a situation is going to work out and that nobody's going to end up dead because we can talk about the fact that nobody was killed from the missiles that were sent to specific places to not kill somebody but A plane got shot out of the sky and 176 people are dead now. Because a plane got shot out of the sky because you were doing this missile attack. And somebody, somebody fucked up. And now there's dead people. And that's why you don't play these games. That's why this shit is not a game. And I don't understand people who view this as some kind of like game. Like no. You're firing live artillery. It may go somewhere where you don't really intend for it to go. Somebody may get killed that you didn't intend to kill. And so now, now Iran has this situation. And to bring it back to a point that I was making earlier about how united the Iranian people are, there have been protests over the past couple of days from the Iranian people against the regime Based on the fact that the regime lied about how this went down, they lied to the Iranian people, they lied to everybody else, and the Iranian people are pissed. And so now they're taking to the streets. And for what it's worth, protesting in Iran is not exactly like protesting in the United States. It can carry a death penalty. You can end up killed, you can end up disappeared, you can end up severely injured. It's not exactly something the regime takes lightly. But there are people out there in the streets shouting death to the Ayatollah and that the regime should resign. And yeah, it's, it's really not worked out very well for Iran right now. And of course, according to reports that are coming out of Iran, things that are being posted up on social media... Um, The regime is responding by sending out people in riot gear. They're tear gassing. Um, I'm sure there will be, if there are more protests, there will be even more violent crackdowns because this is how they operate. This is what they do. I I don't know where this is exactly going to end up for Iran and the Iranian people. A lot of people are, are looking at this particular situation as being the big one. And I, I don't know. We, we thought that during the Arab Spring, that this was it. Like this, this is it. They're going to do it this time. I, I always hold out hope for Iran because I mean, this is, I, I hope, I hope these people find some way to throw off this ridiculous theocracy and to be free again. I hope. It's a, it's a long, hard hill to climb though. Much like the people in Hong Kong, I mean, you're you're going up against an authoritarian government that thinks nothing of killing you if you protest them. So, the the stakes are very very high, and it's it, it it takes a lot to go out in the street and protest in Iran, knowing that you might not go home. But people are doing it, and I hope maybe something good comes out of this. Maybe maybe this is it. Maybe this is the big one. I'm not holding my breath, but I'm really, really holding out hope for the Iranian people because they've suffered long enough. Like, this is just, this is, this has gone on long enough. And I'm not a fan of U.S. intervention into countries to topple regimes because that's how this whole damn thing started, was we decided in 1959 that we needed to go into Iran and topple their regime and install somebody, and then this ends up leading to the revolution in 79, which leads to this fucked up situation that we have today so no, the U.S. does not need to send anybody into Iran. We've, we've fucked them up enough. Please, dear God, leave these people alone. But I hope that they are strong enough to do this themselves. Because it's it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot. And I think the best that we can do is just to try to amplify their message and to try to show support in whatever way we can. And I, that's that's about all you can do. But I, I hope for them. I do. Because it's just, it's... And there's been plenty of protests in Iran lately. And Just based on just anti-regime sentiment. And there's a lot of things. I mean, their, their economy is trashed. I mean, obviously, they don't have freedoms. It's just, And I think it's finally getting to a tipping point where the people have had enough especially the women. I love seeing the women protest. It's just, it's so great to see these women finding their voice and being like, fuck you, we've had enough, we're done. Like I, I, I wonder what would happen if enough pissed off women just got sick of the US government's shit and started telling them no. But, I, we shall see. Hopefully that'll be the silver lining that comes out of this, but As far as the Ukrainian response, um, Zelensky has demanded an apology from Iran. I'm not sure if he's gotten a formal one yet. What happens on the Ukrainian side at this point? I don't know. I mean, I feel so bad for Zelensky. I mean, that man just wanted to be president and clean up corruption in his country. And he's just had to deal with just like a boatload of shit from day one. And now this is just another thing that he has to deal with. And it's like, you know... At some point, you got to wonder why you even wanted that job in the first place. But how that's going to pan out, I don't know. What the international response is going to be as far as anything from NATO or the UN, I don't know yet. Um, Trump called on NATO to be more involved in this. I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. I, I don't know exactly what NATO is supposed to do about the Iranian situation in general I, I i there's there's a lot of questions i still have a lot of questions is the point of that rant but moving it back over stateside because iran is not the only country whose citizens have had to deal with their government changing the story about something that happened on what seems to be a minute to minute basis um about that imminent threat thing yeah so if you'll remember, and and I think I touched on this on the last weekly roundup, the excuses for why the Soleimani killing had to be done right now have changed and kind of morphed, and we've gone from kind of it being a response to the Iranian attack on a U.S. contractor to it being a response to the embassy attack, to it being a response to an imminent threat. And we kind of came back to imminent threat, which there was no proof offered of an imminent threat. And apparently um, the Trump administration finally got around to briefing Congress on what exactly happened. And your boy, Mike Lee, had nothing nice to say about this briefing. He said that it was literally the worst briefing he has ever sat through. He found it to be very condescending. Uh, they did not answer any questions. Uh, basically, the, the whole vibe that I got from what Lee was saying was that basically they the those who were there to speak to Congress seemed to view this all as a giant waste of time. And so, yeah, Lee was pissed. Rand Paul was pissed. And they both said so publicly. And yeah, there's there's still not been any kind of concrete, anything offered to anybody as to why this would have been an imminent attack sort of situation. Nothing has been offered. So, in light of that, Trump holds a rally. He says during this rally that he ordered the killing of Soleimani because there was apparently apparently, four embassies that were set to be attacked in the near-ish future. Um, well, Esper had to go on the TV today and admit to the fact that there's no intel that even remotely specifies anything of that nature and he went on and elaborated that well it wasn't that we had any kind of workable intel on this it's just we felt like this like something was going to happen that's not a reason you can't say i i i felt like i just (laughs) what the fuck Oh my god, these people are going to lie us into a war again. They're still trying. They are still trying to lie us into a war. Right now. And even last week, Pompeo, when he was asked about imminent threat, and when the question was put to him, like, Okay, well, can you give us something in the way of a time frame? Or something in the way of what the target would have been? He was basically like, Uh, it's someone, somewhere, who knows... These things aren't important. And it's like yes, they are. if you're going to say there was an imminent threat then you better produce a threat that is imminent and and nobody to nobody to nobody have they justified this not even to Congress And I'm just like so what what the fuck? okay so so why why why? why does Soleimani have to die right now? like there's still not been, An official, actual, cogent explanation given to anybody. An explanation that has been put out in the press is that Trump did this in order to curry the favor of certain Republican senators going into the impeachment trial. I don't know as if I thoroughly believe that or not. I mean, it's not exactly like he has to curry favor. They've already said that they're going to acquit him. Like, why would you need to go kill Soleimani to get people on your side? Like, they're already there. Like, they're already going to vote to acquit you. Like, everybody knows this. So, there's that. But, I mean, much like many things in this administration, absent an actual explanation from the administration as to why you did what you did Of course, people are going to speculate and rumors are going to run rampant and people are going to draw their own conclusions because you're not giving anybody an actual explanation that isn't horseshit and that even remotely justifies what you did. It's just, it's it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And it's like, if you're old enough to somewhat remember the lead up to the Iraq war, which I'm... I'm, I'm somewhat old enough to remember it. And to remember the way it was pitched, it's just like, you feel like you have deja vu. Like, you feel like you've seen this one before because you have. and it's It's scary. It's scary to think that we're going to get lied into another war, and maybe the only saving grace here is that because the U.S. government has been caught lying so often in relationship to Middle Eastern wars that there seems to be more of a skepticism in believing anything that comes out of the Trump administration. And I'm sure some of that is related to the fact that it's coming out of the Trump administration and that some people are going to just not believe it no matter what. But I feel like there is a much more healthy skepticism than there has been in the past because, I mean, we've been lied to. We've been lied to so many times. I mean, six weeks ago, we had a whole ass story about how this government has been lying about Afghanistan for over a decade. That's what they do. The government lies about war. They will lie you into war. Then they will lie to you about what is happening. Like, I I want people to be more skeptical. I want everybody to be skeptical of anything that any government says in relationship to the lead-up or conduction of any war, please and thank you. But on the topic of war, we did kind of have a little bit of a surprise this week. Um, the House did pass a War Powers Resolution saying that if there is anything to go on in Iran, that the President does have to seek Congressional approval for it. Um, it's not expected to pass the Senate. But it did pass in the House, and, you know, your, your usual suspects voted for it. I mean, obviously, Massey voted for it. Amash voted for it. A surprise entrant, though. Matt Gates. Which, if you remember the last time we heard from Matt Gates, it was back when he was making a whole ass out of himself during the impeachment proceedings by bringing up Hunter Biden's drug problems. He got up and made this fairly impassioned speech about how He feels that Trump was correct in ordering the killing of Soleimani, but anything over and beyond that, then yes, he does have to ask Congress for approval and that he himself just that day had come from a military funeral for one of his constituents. Um, He represents a district over in Florida that I'm pretty sure encompasses Pensacola. So he does have military bases in his district and it was just not surprising in the way that this is a new stance for gates exactly i mean from from everything he's he's been here in this position but there's been an awful lot of people who have thrown away a lot of their prior positions on things in order to appease trump and it was surprising to see one of trump's biggest cheerleaders actually stick to his guns and stick to at least one of his principles in the face of pissing off Trump, basically. And Gates took a lot of heat for it, both from the Trump administration and online. People just, in the replies, when he posted up the speech, calling him a traitor? And calling him, like, everything in the book? Um, it turns out that before the vote, uh, Gates had actually sent out emails to other Republican congresspeople in order to try to get them on board with supporting the war powers act and somebody snitched him out to trump and then now trump's pissed off at him i mean i i was i was surprised i'm always surprised at this point when somebody still stands on principle and so matt gates does deserve a round of applause for this for standing up and saying what we all know to be true which is that congress needs to take back their war powers and that something needs to be done there needs to be a line drawn this needs to start happening and that there needs to be more people even on the republican side saying so not because you're trying to score points or you're trying to to go viral or or make a name for yourself but because it is the constitutionally correct position it's right there in the constitution and it's time for congress to start taking their powers back from the executive office. It is past time. So, hooray for Matt for standing up and making a speech that I, I honestly, I didn't expect, but I'm happy for. I, I'm glad to hear that at least one Trump supporter still has something left in him from how he got elected. But The last thing i want to point out and that is that um we've had a nice break from impeachment weeks but i think our breaks are fixing to come to an end because nancy pelosi did officially hand over the articles of impeachment to the senate on friday so i'm not sure i don't think they've set up a schedule yet for the senate trial or how exactly the senate is going to handle this but i think we will be going back to impeachment weeks here in the very near future Next week, I don't know. Like I said, there hasn't been a schedule put out. But soon. It's an imminent threat. That is an imminent threat. (laughs) That I can promise you. That we will be talking about impeachment again very soon. So, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Because it has been a very long, very stressful, very scary week. And I hope to have less scary weeks in the near future but I who knows who knows who knows anymore we're we're not even halfway into the first month of 2020 and we've already packed in like six months worth of shit <laughs> it's it's the 12th it's the 12th of January <laughs> oh my god this year if we manage to make it through this year without dying I, I think we'll be good I think that will be considered a success for 2020. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. At this point, as always, if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care, and until next time.